Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. This is David Canfield, and I'm recording this program in Chicago on Monday, November 6, 2023. And in this series of messages, we are dealing with the topic of whether we may be disciplined when we see the Lord as the believers in Christ, because there's so much stress today on the free gift of salvation, the other side of the truth that we may indeed be disciplined when we see the Lord is almost completely neglected. And because of that, so many believers in Christ just become so casual and so loose in their Christian life, and they have no idea how serious a matter it is to be a follower of Christ on the earth today. And so that's what we want to try to bring home in this series of messages. You could say the topic that we're really talking about is the salvation of the soul. That's the phrase that Peter uses in his first epistle, 1 Peter 1, verse 9. Verse 8 says, he's talking about the Lord, whom having not seen, you love. And though you do not see now, yet you believe in him and rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So the salvation of our, of our soul there is in the present tense. He doesn't say you have received the salvation of your soul in the past. He's saying you are receiving right now the salvation of your soul. When we were born anew, according to John 3, verse 6, we were born anew in our spirit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's the innermost part of our being. You know, as human beings, to be clear, we need to understand we're three-part beings. We are souls. That's who we are. We are a soul. And as a soul, we have a body outwardly. That body is the means by which we contact the physical world. But inwardly, we also have a spirit. That's the hidden part of our being. And that's what enables us to contact the spiritual realm and specifically to contact God, who is spirit. Now, the spirit of an unregenerated person is, for the most part, dead. That's why... uh, Paul tells us that we're dead in our offenses and sins before we were saved. Spiritually speaking, we were dead. Our spirit is dead. But when the Spirit of God enters into our spirit, our spirit is regenerated and we are made alive in our spirit. And that's an instantaneous matter that happens the moment we believe in Christ. Praise the Lord. Our spirit is regenerated and we are born anew in Christ. Well, when the Lord returns... Also in a moment, according to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, in the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be resurrected and our bodies are going to be changed. They're going to be made incorruptible bodies. That's also going to happen in a moment. That, that relates to the outward part of our being, our physical body. That also is an instantaneous matter. But what's not instantaneous is the salvation of the soul. That is a lifelong process. The New Testament calls that transformation in Romans 12, 2 and uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Transformation is a lifelong process. We are being transformed into the image of Christ day by day. That's the salvation of the soul that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, 9. Now, if we cooperate with the Lord and allow him to deal with us and to help us experience the salvation of the soul, We'll receive a reward when the Lord comes back. But if we don't cooperate with the Lord, if we neglect the Lord, if we don't follow Christ, 
if we refuse him and turn away from him, then when the Lord comes back, because that process has not been completed to a sufficient degree, then we will receive a discipline at the judgment seat of Christ. So that's why, as I say, another way to refer to this topic about the reward and discipline of the believers at the judgment seat of Christ in present terms is to say that we are dealing with the salvation of the soul. And Watchman Nee has a very good little booklet on this topic called by that name, The Salvation of the Soul. And that's where I first encountered this kind of teaching myself. I'd highly recommend it. Again, we'll be linking to that in the program notes below. This is what the Apostle Paul refers to in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both the willing and the working for his good pleasure. A lot of Christians cannot understand these verses because they feel, well, I'm already saved. My sins are forgiven. I'm ready to see the Lord. No, not in terms of the salvation of the soul. That is a lifelong process that we need to go through to be ready to, to meet the Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, that we have to cooperate with the Lord to enter into the salvation of the soul so we can be prepared to meet him. Another portion along these lines that gives Christians a good deal of trouble is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Here the Apostle Peter says, It is time for judgment to begin from the house of God. And if first from us, what shall be the end of those who disobey the gospel of God? And if the righteous man is saved with difficulty, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So here he's very clearly saying, the believers are saved with difficulty. We're the righteous before God in terms of our standing. He's contrasting us with the ungodly and the sinners. He's saying judgment has to begin from the house of God, from the believers. And the righteous are saved with difficulty. What is he talking about? Well, you have to understand that in the context of 1 Peter. Go back to 1 Peter 1.9 again. He's talking here about the salvation of the soul. And in that sense, the righteous, yes, is saved with difficulty. It's not an easy process to go through. It really involves paying a price to follow the Lord, giving up on loving the world, seeking him, spending time with him, allowing him to deal with us. Not an easy process, and that's why there's a reward. But that's the salvation he's talking about here. It's not the salvation in terms of eternity, in terms of the forgiveness of our sins. It's the salvation in terms of our soul. And as I say, no, that's not an easy process. Now, to be honest, it's only when you see these two sides of the truth that so much of the New Testament begins to make sense. If you only see the side of the security of salvation, then no, you cannot explain these verses in a proper way. You have to see the side as well of the reward and discipline of the believers, of the salvation of the soul. That's when all these different verses in the New Testament fall into their proper place. And you're not going to be deceived by people who say, oh, here, they look at uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter, Peter 4, rather, verses 17 and 18, and see that that means you're, you don't have the security of salvation. You could lose your salvation. You understand, no, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the salvation of the soul. So to harmonize the scriptures and to put everything in their proper place, you need to see both aspects of the truth regarding salvation. Yes, our salvation is secure, but also, yes, we do need to seek the reward. We need to seek after the salvation of the soul before we see the Lord. Again, look at Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. This is where Peter has just confessed 
Jesus as the Christ, which is a wonderful confession. But then he turns around and begins to tell the Lord not to go to the cross. And so the Lord turns to him and rebukes him in a very strong way. And then he says this, the Lord does. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall a man be profited if he gains the whole world but suffers the loss of his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall repay each one according to what he has practiced. So here again, what is being spoken of is the salvation of the soul. I won't say too much about these verses here. You get the idea. I would point out in uh, verse 25 when the Lord says, Whoever would save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. That is the word there for soul. The same word is in verse 26. It just seems better in that verse to translate it as life. But the meaning is the same. So let's read it that way. Whoever would save his soul shall lose it. But whoever loses his soul for my sake shall find it. Again, talking about the salvation of the soul. So you can look at those verses for yourself. But I just want to point out, unless you see this side of the truth, to balance the side of the assurance, just so much of the New Testament, huge portions of the New Testament are just closed off from you. You can never really understand what they're talking about because you have to come up with some kind of crazy interpretation to try to explain why this is not talking about how we may suffer a real discipline when we see the Lord. You know, Christians like to talk about uh, once saved, always saved. And they ask, do you believe in that? Do you believe in once saved, always saved? And that's kind of shorthand for you know what you may refer to as uh, the security of our salvation. And I do believe in that. For sure I believe in that. If you have believed in Christ, and no matter how weak or poor your seeking of Christ may be, even if it's you know, weaker and even more poor than mine is, even so, you cannot lose your salvation. You just can't. Once you believe in the Lord, he's not going to let you go, but you may lose the reward. You may not experience the salvation of the soul in this age. That's what we can lose is the prize, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So, Yes, you can, you can say once saved, always saved. I do believe that. But I think it's better to speak of it in this, in this way. Once saved, always saved, and being saved. Once saved, always saved, and being saved. That's really the right way to look at it. I'll say it again. We always have to have a balanced view of the truth. We have to see both sides of a truth in order to see the full picture of a truth as it's presented in the Bible. So yes, on the one hand, we do have the security of salvation, but the other side, the balancing side of the truth, as I started out by saying, has to do with the reward and discipline that we'll face in the coming age. And because believers only see the side of security today, that's a big reason why we're so short in seeking Christ, we're so short in our testimony of Christ in these days. I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. Uh, I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. 
If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. In this series, we've already talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. In verse 24, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race course do indeed all run, but one receives the prize? So run that you may lay hold. And he goes on from there. He likens himself as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, to one who is running the race. He considered the Christian life to be a race. And he was concerned that he might not win the prize. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 10 to show us just how serious that may be using the example of the children of Israel. Well, when you come back to Philippians and go to chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, you can see there, this Philippians was written much later in his ministry, he still considered that he was running the race. Philippians 3, 13, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have laid hold, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are indeed behind and stretching forward to the things which are before, Verse 14, I pursue toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was one who was really running the race. He was exercising his whole being to follow Christ and to enter enter into the real experience of the salvation of the soul. It wasn't until the very end of his life, in his final epistle, 2 Timothy, when he's basically waiting for his martyrdom, that's when he can say, Finish the race. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. So he's finished the course. He has run the race. Praise the Lord for the example we have in our brother, the Apostle Paul. He goes on in verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me. Not before now. That crown was not laid up for him before this point of his life. Before the very end of his life. But here he, now he can say, as he is awaiting martyrdom, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, with which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall recompense me in that day, and not only me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. Here, finally, Paul had the assurance he had won the prize. He had gained the crown at the very end of his life. This is the attitude. He's a pattern, of course, for us. He uh, shows us that we need to have this same attitude My Christian life is a race. I am running the race to experience the salvation of the soul so I can win the prize and be ready to meet the Lord. And I want to stress again, even though I'm sharing so much about overcoming and running the race, the incentive here is for the sake of helping us to be those who love the Lord and who do not love this present age. That should be our focus, loving the Lord. We don't want to focus on overcoming. Overcoming is an incentive, but the real point is to be those who love the Lord. That's why Paul said, he adds here in 2 Timothy 4.8, the Lord's going to give that crown to all those who have loved his appearing. You know, if we don't love his appearing, really, if we're living for this present age, if our hope is in this present age, we're not going to win that crown. But if we are those who truly love the Lord and so love his appearing, we will win the crown. Praise the Lord for that. But we, like Paul, need to have a realization that we need to run the race. On the one hand, we love the Lord. And because we love the Lord, on the other hand, we run the race. 
Look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. The writer of Hebrews, and as, as I've said before, I have, I'm quite sure this is the Apostle Paul, but we'll just say the writer of Hebrews, says, Without faith it, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes forward to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Some Christians get a little bothered. They say, well, uh, we shouldn't really seek the Lord because of a reward. We, we should seek the Lord because we love him. But the Lord knows who we are, saints, and he knows that we need a reward and we need that incentive in order to follow him and to run the race today. That's just the nature of our being and the, the opposition of the world is so strong. So he sets this reward before us. And what it says here is that unless we believe there is a reward, it's going to be impossible for us to follow him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We cannot please God if we don't believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We should have the faith to believe. Yes, if I seek the Lord, he is going to give me a reward. Praise the Lord for that. So we should have this kind of faith that, yes, there's a reward, and I'm seeking the Lord because I love the Lord, and that's why I come forward to him. But as I love him, as I seek him, I do anticipate the coming reward. And that reward, as we said elsewhere, is the reward of reigning with Christ in his heavenly kingdom. And in that regard, let's go back for a minute to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Very, very crucial statement the Apostle Paul makes here in verse 18. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Okay, I have finished the course. Now I'm going to be rewarded with the crown of righteousness. Listen to what he says in verse 18. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and shall save me into his heavenly kingdom, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the New Testament, the phrase, the kingdom of the heavens, is only used in the Gospel of Matthew. It's that arrangement when the heavens are ruling over the earth. And that's, it's in the kingdom of the heavens in the next age, when the heavens are ruling over the earth in an open, manifested way, that's when the believers who have been faithful to Christ will receive their reward. Now, Paul here does not use that exact phrase, but I believe this is the only other place in the New Testament that does explicitly refer to the kingdom of the heavens when he says, the Lord will deliver me into his heavenly kingdom. That's what Paul's talking about here. The reward he's going to receive, the crown for having run the race, is going to be given to him in the kingdom of the heavens, in the Lord's heavenly kingdom. Praise the Lord for that. That's when we will receive our coming reward. Now, to stress again, every believer in eternity is going to be an overcomer. We will all reign with Christ forever and ever. The question is whether or not we will reign with Christ for that 1,000-year period. That's what we're talking about. That temporary period that will follow immediately after this age. This age is not followed by eternity. There's that 1,000-year reign of Christ upon this present earth that is called the millennium, his millennial kingdom. And that's where the overcoming believers will receive their reward and where the defeated believers will receive a temporary discipline. And it may be less severe, it may be more severe, depending on their particular circumstances. We talked a little bit about that in some previous episodes. But just to clarify, that's what we're talking about when we speak of the reward of the overcomers is where we will be if we overcome in the coming 1,000-year reign of Christ upon this present earth. And that is very much related to the salvation of the soul. 
and you do have this this thought, a lot of believers have, because our salvation is secure, therefore there, there can never be a problem between us and God. Uh, I'm in Christ, that's how he sees me, so uh, there can't be any really serious discipline. Maybe I, I won't receive a big reward when I see the Lord, but, but everything's going to be okay. It won't be too serious. I would ask these people, have you looked at Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 21? This is when Balaam is hired to curse Israel, but instead of cursing them, he blesses them. And in his prophecy here, Balaam says this, God has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Now you compare that with how God dealt with the children of Israel in the wilderness. Again, I would say there's two sides. In a sense, you could say, yes, God would never agree that there's wickedness, that there's sin in the church, and the body of Christ is the bride of Christ. But that's according to our standing. He's very aware of our practical situation. That's the other side. And he deals with us in his wisdom according to our actual condition. So yes, that's right. In Christ, there's no problem. Everything's fine. But don't think that means that he's not going to deal with us sometimes in a very, very severe way just as he did with the children of Israel in the wilderness, even though it says here, he never beheld iniquity in them. You always have to see these two different sides. Read the uh, Lord's epistles to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. These are the seven golden lampstands before God. And that's the sense in which he's never beheld any iniquity in the church. Before God, they're just these marvelous golden lampstands. Listen to his word to the church in Laodicea. This is Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. You say, I am wealthy and have become rich and have need of nothing. I tell you, this is exactly the situation of Christianity today. It's so convinced they just have everything they need. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Here the Lord's talking about their real situation, their practical condition before him. How severe is his judging word here? He goes on, verse 18, Now counsel from you, counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire. Wait a minute. Salvation's a free gift. No, no, no. I don't. Lord, you've given us everything in Christ. It's free. What is, what is this buying here? You counsel us to buy from you gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness might not be manifested and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. What he's saying here, you have to pay a price to follow him. That's not easy, saints. Not easy to pay that price. And this is the side of the truth so many Christians today just don't want to see. But it's in the Bible and we have to be clear about this if we really want to be those who, fo- who are followers of Christ today. But listen to what the Lord says in verse 19. This is, again, a balancing word, which I appreciate. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the Lord's dealing, even when he's so severe, the Lord is dealing with us in love to turn us to himself and to cause us to love him and to rise up and follow him and to pay the price to follow him. That's really what this is all about. The Lord is calling us to himself and he's giving us an incentive to follow him and urging us to follow him so we can be ready to see him when he comes back. Many, many Christians are going to be shocked when they come, when the Lord comes back and they find out they're not ready to see the Lord because they wasted the time they had here on the earth on so many worthless things. I hope I'll be ready to see the Lord. That's my goal, 
in my spiritual seeking. I want to be one who's ready to, to see the Lord. Lord, I want to be ready to see you. Help me to know how to seek you, what it really means to seek you, to really give myself to you and allow you to deal with me, to bring me into so much more of the experience of who you are as my life, to know you as my bread of life, to let you deal with me in my mind, emotion, and will, to enable me to experience transformation so I can be found in you when you come back, Lord. Make me this kind of one, this kind of seeker of the Lord, this kind of lover of the Lord who really is committed to running the race, to follow Christ, to be prepared to meet you when you return. Now, I have to be honest, when I began recording this, my thought was, in this episode, I mainly wanted to come to the parables that the Lord gives us regarding the matter of the reward and discipline of the believers in the coming age. That was my thought. And I was just going to give a little introductory word. But I record the the program in segments, and I put it together, and I listen to it and do some editing. And as I've done that, I just realized that this is already enough for one program. It's, it's You don't want to give too many points in, in, in one time. There's there's so much here I know to consider, and I, and I hope you'll take some time to chew upon these verses. Uh, and if you look at the program notes below, what I do is I, I list the verses on my website. So there's a link there in the program notes below you can go to, which references the page on my website where I do list these verses. And so I encourage you to go over these verses yourself. Spend time with them before the Lord. And ask him to show you and to shine on you concerning this matter of the salvation of the soul. I think you'll be very, very much helped by that. But in terms of my sharing, I think that's enough for this episode of the program. Not an easy topic to get into. I appreciate that. And I know for many of the listeners, this is something very new because it's just not a word that's shared today among Christians. It's not a word that believers want to hear. It's not so the Bible preachers, they don't want to preach it. But if we want to be faithful to the Lord, we have to stand in the whole counsel of God. And that's what I'm trying to present to you. And as I say, I hope you'll consider this before the Lord for yourself. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.